Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Let Tend Dental make your dream smile a reality. We offer a variety of top-rated treatments, including Invisalign aligners. And for a limited time, Tend is offering $750 off orthodontic treatments. Offer valid through January 31st, so don't wait. Visit hellotend.com slash sale. That's hellotend.com slash sale. And book your free consult today. Yeah, there should be some passion. This doesn't have to be boring. Boring, boring. Hey, one thing the game needs is more people like you. You, you. Still have grown men run around tight pants. It's Mookie Betts. This is Daniel Bard. It's Steve Aoki. Here's Saul Tlamachia. This is Brock Holt. Hey, this is John Lester. Baseball is baseball. Baseball isn't boring. Welcome to Baseball Isn't Boring. Here's your host, Rob Radford. All right, baseball is not boring. This is the first time I've uttered those words in 2023. I'm talking to a little Mike for the first time in 2023. And we're going to look back at, at this moment saying, oh, my goodness, this is the first full year of the, the fastest growing cause in the year of our Lord, 2023. We got the ball rolling in 2022 with a podcast for a couple of months in. Now we really hit the ground running, which is exactly why I don't want to do year in review. I don't want to do predictions. I just want to keep sort of the momentum going. I want to keep the conversation going, the whatever's happening, top of mind. And top of mind today was I saw a tweet from Sean Spradling, who does a great job. I've just noticed this on Twitter um, covering the WBC. I hope to have Sean on because I don't know if you know this, the WBC is this year and it's uh, of note because people like the WBC and there's a lot of players playing it. Including, by the way, Masa Yoshida. Masa Yoshida is the outfielder who the Red Sox signed to a five-year, $90 million contract. They are putting a lot of eggs in his basket. In that basket, that is Masa Yoshida, outfielder, lefty hitter, outfielder, bat-to-ball guy, uh, power-hitting guy, uh, diminutive guy, um, not big. Uh, diminutive means not big. And um, so we'll see. The ultimate, we'll see. It's also interesting, and I do want to get into further podcasts about the WBC dynamic. And like I said, maybe we'll get Sean on others. We've already had, if you want to go back uh, a week or so ago, we had on Adam Jones and Mark DeRosa, Taka, Annie and Kinsler, on the Baseball to Boring podcast talking about the WBC and how it's really taken a notch up, taken a turn up. Um, in terms of participation, in terms of interest among the players. And when it comes to Masayoshida playing for uh, Samurai Japan in 2023 World Baseball Classic, well, I don't, I don't 
the Red Sox weren't positive that that was going to happen, but you know, I think that a lot of people thought that maybe you know that the the lore is a di- different sort of responsibility, a different sort of lore. Um, there's a different sort of expectation, so I don't think anyone was overly surprised that Yoshida is going to be playing in the WBC. So. That's not what we're here to talk about. We're here to talk about what it looks like when he gets back, what it looks like when the season starts, and what really the free agent outfield market <laughs> looks like overall. So when we get to the end of the day, the end of the day being this, say, the end of the day being the All-Star break, the end of the day being the end of the 2023 season, when we get there, who are we going to look back as the best free agent um, outfield signing, not name Aaron Judge? We can, I mean, Aaron Judge is going to be great. He makes a lot of money. We get that. But after him, who is going to be the best free agent signing? So let me put these three names in the mix. Um, actually, let me put four names in the mix. So other than the first one, after Judge, Brandon Nemo. Brandon Nemo signs a five-year, $110 million deal. So he, he was perceived in going in at, to be the, the top outfield guy after Judge. Everyone knew that. He goes back to the Mets. All right, five years, 110. Mark that, mark that down. Bookmark it, whatever you want to do. All right. Then you have Andrew Benintendi. And Benintendi gets five years as well, uh, just shy uh, just shy of Yoshida's deal. So uh, just about the same age as Yoshida, by the way. Um, then you have, I think, you know, the, the wild card in the situation is Michael Conforto. He signed to the Giants. A two-year deal, obviously, there's a lot of injury concerns, but who knows? You know, that one could go either way. This is sort of forking the road for Michael Conforto. uh, Giants, after they missed out on Judge, after, as we sit here, after they missed out on Correa, they need to add some people, so they add Conforto. And then you have Rashida. So anybody who says, this is absolutely what's going to happen with Masa Yoshida, and he's going to be this guy, they that's just, we can't predict. We thought Seiya Suzuki was going to end up be having a better year, his first year with the Cubs, than he did. And, I, and this is his first year. He was okay. But, you know, you talk about some of the people who had played with him, who had seen him in Japan. It's like, this guy's going to be a star right away. And and he has some injury problems. But we'll wait to see what happens with that. Now, what does this mean for Yoshida? What is he going to be? All we know is that he's going to play left field. He his defense ability doesn't probably won't lead him to the expanse that is right field at Fenway Park. Certainly not center field. So you, you have that dynamic. Um, you think that he's going to hit with some power, especially going the other way at Fenway. So all right, we think that we we think that he won't strike out a lot, which I think that it's a sneaky thing in how teams are viewing uh, everything with with a change in shifts and also. Just seeing what happened with the Astros at the end, this is a team that was just putting the ball in play. So teams want to put the ball in play a little bit more. So all of that, that's what we know. But we what we don't know is, is this going to be a guy who you can say, okay, you're at the top of the order, you're going to set the stage, or you're going to have to sort of bury him in the six, seven, eight spot in the lineup, which, to be perfectly honestly, won't be a great look because you gave the guy five years, $90 million plus the posting fee. So we'll see, but I think it's a good conversation. I, I right now in this podcast, for the purposes of this podcast, we are going to take the leap of faith and we'll say, hey, you know what? After Aaron Judge, you know who could be the best outfield free agent acquisition? It could be Masa Yoshida. Let's just play that game. 
So if we're going to play that game, then I need some proof, some some evidence to back it up. So that's why I had on Red Sox executive Gus Quattlebaum on the podcast to to dive into it because he was sort of uh, one of the point people for the Red Sox when it came to identifying Yoshida, securing Yoshida, all of that. So he has a better perspective of this. So I'm going to give you a good chunk of that conversation to talk about Yoshida. All right. As we storm into 2023, everyone follow, everyone subscribe, everyone uh, buy the T-shirts, buy the hoodies, buy the book, all of it. Leave, leave a nice review. I appreciate everybody. We're going to ex- be expanding across across the globe, across the across the country, certainly across the MLB. And look for the conversation. It's easy ones to have because something happens in baseball every day. I don't think there's any question of that. And we're just proof of that five days a week, at least, at least baseball's and boring podcast. Um, and if you're a Red Sox centric, Bradfoe show as well. All right. Here you go. Well, here is, here is, uh, your way to kick off 2023 by getting excited over Masayushita courtesy Gus Qualabong. So why does this guy excite you so much about the idea of him playing for the Red Sox? Really, what stood out, like I said earlier in this show, you know, the approach, we, we evaluate hitters in, with three different buckets, the swing take decisions, the contact, and then the quality of the contact. And he checked all those boxes for us. Then you couple it with whatever data we can acquire um, with the TrackMan data that we can get out there in the MPB. And then we... Uh, do our digging with our scouting. We get their opinions based on video work. We get the opinions of our hitting coaches. It's not just our scouts. Like I said, there's so many people involved with that. But just understanding the quality of contact, the consistency of contact, the approach, um, the way he used the field, we just thought it'd be a really nice addition to our lineup. Um, And you're seeing the game where there's a ton of swing and miss um, in the industry now. and this just this guy stood out as a different type of approach, one that we could really benefit from in our lineup. And I know Alex uh, would like that in his lineup, regardless of how Alex chooses to build the lineup. You know, it's interesting you say there's a lot there's a lot of swing and miss in the game, and this is being valued of of, and I think it's probably going to be valued more. Go back to the World Series when you look at what the Astros did. Just putting the ball in play. I mean, just putting the ball going, you know, you have some really, really nasty. All I need to do is go to our good friend Pitching Ninja to see how nasty pitching is. If it's you can so put, tough. Right. It's so tough. And and so if you can put the play, especially in, we don't know exactly how this is going to manifest itself with the lack of shifts. Yeah. But, that's right. I mean, that's point. part of yeah. it, right? Interesting point there. Yeah, that that could certainly factor in. I mean, I, I reflect back to my days with the Yankees in the late 90s, early 2000s. Those lineups would just grind. And I, I know how successful they could be to wear out, um, you know, pitching staff on the other side. Now it's different now with bullpens coming in the fifth, sixth inning with huge stuff. Um, but that Anytime you can grind out at bats, I know that's something that a manager would appreciate. It went in, I, the, the days of, I remember that this was the, sort of the biggest feather in the red size cap going back. I'm like, oh, look at they always at the top when it comes to pitches per play to parents. You know, I remember when Napoli was signed, that was a big deal, right? This is yes. four and a half pitches per play to parents. And, um, and you're right, it sort of went away from that. Um, but it is going to be interesting, I, and I'm glad that I made you think. I'm, I'm glad that you're going to be sitting at this wedding and thinking about, hmm, I wonder how more contact will manifest itself uh, with no shifts. 
Hmm. What do you? I'm not, not going to give you credit for that, Rob. Sorry. Oh, come on. <laughs> By the way, if, let's just say if I hear other uh, reporters echoing it, I'm going to know that it's a circle of life. All right. Yeah. My take is a circle of life. What, so Fair. when you look, when you look at your sheet of spray chart, if you did look at his spray chart, how do you think if there were? Here's here's another good question. If there were shifts, how would he be shifting? Or would he be shifting? Or did he, was he shifting? He, he, the way he uses the field, I'm sure they would probably shift a little bit towards, you know, right field, ground balls to, you know, the second base side. Um, but he, he uses the field so well with a very simple swing that, um, I don't know, I, I'm sure each team out in the MPB had a different approach on how they would defend him. Um, but his ability to lift the ball with authority caught our attention specifically to left field. Um, so hopefully that will translate in Fenway. We think he'll be a great Fenway fit. And, and it can be contagious. We've seen it with pass hitters like Schwarber, as an example. When he joined us, that approach seemed to rub off on others within the lineup. So is that something we can measure necessarily? No, um, but it's something that I, 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 don't know, I saw it. So that you think that the power... It sounds like his power can go to all of the fields, but if you had to pick one field that might uh, pay off the most, it's it's the opposite way. I would say so. Yeah. Okay. All right. I mean, he moves so well in the box. We've consulted with a number of hitting um, coaches on that, and they really liked how he could lift the ball the other way. And that obviously something catches our attention when we have Fenway Park, uh, the the short porch for left-handed bats, and we've had left-handed hitters in the past who've had success with that and makes him a better hitter. The, you know, it's, it's interesting because the, just uh, as we were taping this uh, the day before Ben and Tenny signs, basically almost the same deal is almost the same age. And, and, and yeah, and I put up a poll. I've said, like, who, who would you rather have, you know, same, almost the same deal, almost the same age. We, and people, I think you're going to like this, that about 70% said, we want Yoshida. And I think a big part of that is because people like the idea of what some guy is going to be. Um, you know, and, and Benintendi's a solid player. There's a reason why he got a five-year deal. He's a solid player. So, but if you had to say, okay, you know, this is not to say, don't pick one because it's not fair. It's like that guy is going to be, Yoshida is like this guy. But give me some guys that you say that's here are pieces of Yoshida that these, these guys have. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I understand where you're going with this. It, it's risky for us to get into the comp business. We, we, I guess where comps are useful in scouting is to cross-check ourselves with making sure that we're profiling these players properly. But I will, I, I've learned over the years that dropping comps on players, they're not predictive, Mm. Um, I've learned this from people involved in the horse racing industry. Like it's just comps are useful to cross check your own opinions. Are your grades lining up when you're profiling a player, but they're not predictive. And so we kind of stay away from that. Um, but he's someone that, you know, you recognize the approach, the high, the, the high walk rates, the ability to handle VLO. And that, that's one thing that stood out. You know, it had been a few years since I've been removed from in-person looks in MPB. But one thing that stood out to all of us when we went out there was, wow, the VLO is climbing out mm-hmm. here. And so, you know, the 
drive lines of the world are yielding their influence globally. A lot of these pitchers are um, going to drive line or they're consulting with drive line type uh, companies, facilities, and the velo is climbing. So we were able to see a guy like Yoshida and other hitters face better velo than we've seen in the past. So that gives you a little more solace when you're uh, projecting on a player coming over here. What is the what is the different uh, difference in velo compared to there and here, just in a very very broad general sense? So, in other words, let's say that um, you know there's X amount of like what percentage of of guys that can hit a hundred here. And what guys can hit a hundred there? So what 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 is the average? Yeah, I don't. I would argue there's not as much depth in big power arms out in the MPB as you would see here domestically. Um, but there are guys, whether it be out of the pen or some of the better starters in the game out there, they have big velo, mm-hmm. and so cool. you can get you can get good. But I don't I don't have those numbers. And Rob, I'm not in analytics. Well, right? you, listen. I mean, first of all, I'm going to ask you your your scouting comp yourself because I'm not going to. Oh, not going there. No, you know you don't want to like say who you're, who you're, who you pattern yourself after. Come on. No, I hope I'm evolving. You know, on a daily basis. So that's okay. Risky. Yeah, but let's, let's, the old. Uh, I'm trying to think of an old scout that was smoking a cigar. You know, with a hat and like who nailed you? Basically, like that. Oh, I know, Clint Eastwood. There you go. You're, well, his name was Gus in that movie, so that's right. about. I would end the comparison. You don't think that's a good, that? You don't think that between that and um, and the other scout scouting for the Red Sox, you don't think that all of that is tied together? Who Timberlake? Yeah, Timberlake. That was. Uh, I mean, I think <laughs> Justin Timberlake could play you in the movie. <laughs> okay, that <probably laughs> hurts his stock. It's the first. So, if nothing else, Gus, we have we have managed to say that you're a combination of Clint Eastwood and Justin Timberlake. All right, so there you okay. go. Okay, yeah, you'll take I that. They have, they both have way better gates than me. I can barely walk. So, no, it's it's listen. It's all about the eyes and the ears. So, so fair enough. I I know my scouting. Um. So uh. So, but when you come back to Yoshida, it's. It's just it's one of these things where when you when you see him, when we see him in person, um, you know, well, the first thing that struck me when I saw him in person was that, you know, obviously his height. But, you know, I'm, I mean, it's true. It's true. He's a small guy. But I think the thing that you guys have going for this, which is anytime anyone says, oh, well, look at how small he is. There's the easy counter to that. It's number 15, right? I mean, it's the easy counter. Like, this is the great thing. Or if you want to go to what Altuve, but you have Pedroia. And this is a great thing. The beauty of baseball, Gus, is that it doesn't matter how. But it, it didn't make me get into the conversations about Pedroia because how he never got beat on a high fastball. And his hand-eye coordination was so insane. And I got to imagine, you know, that's in, in the compact swing. And, I, and so that's what sort of like reminded me, okay, you know what? I don't care how tall he is. This could still work, and I'm not going to be judgmental about his height. Sure. Um, and what we care more about than height, actually, is durability, physicality, how strong is he? And he's strong, right? I mean, Yeah, he's a strong guy. I, I think our medical staff was impressed when we got to do the physical finally um, by how strong he is physically. 
And you know, oh, I do you have a bench. I mean, how? What, 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 no, it's not a combine, right? No, you don't say. Here's here's two twenty five. How many times you can push it up? Exactly. No, we don't. We don't go to those uh, levels. But we, you know, we have a full evaluation once he gets here, and they came away impressed by uh, where he is with his fitness. I mean, he's macho man, right? So, um, it, does he wear cutoffs? If so, and what I'm asking, I, I haven't, I haven't familiarized myself with his wardrobe. Well, when when I give him the when I give him a T-shirt, a baseballs and boring T-shirt, I want to know what what kind he wants. So Leaveless or not? Okay. Yeah, exactly. And it's so it's yeah. So, but he's it is is I mean, it's so many as we're talking. I mean, there's so many boxes to check off that you guys had to. Sure. It, it's it's crazy. It's not like hey, you know, this guy's really good. Let's offer him a big contract, and we Here's need one. an outfielder. Boom, there it is. Exactly. And I, I think we've set up an environment here with the Red Sox where a guy coming over from the MPB can have success. I mean, he mentioned it mm-hmm. um, during, the pre- during the press conference. We're lucky. We have three full-time um, employees that are from Japan that speak the language. Uh, we have a massage therapist. We have a strength coach. We have a trainer. And they can help uh, maximize this guy's physical potential. Um and, and they can build the relationships, they can build the trust. And I think that's what all our players want is a staff that they can build trust with. And, and we, we are, we're confident we have that. And then you have a manager who is empathetic to anyone coming from a different arena, coming from a foreign country and uh, making that what we know is a difficult transition, not only to the U.S., but to Boston, where there's a high standard. And all the work we did on the makeup of this guy, we're, we're confident that he can handle this transition. I really, I was I really pleased, impressed by how he handled uh, the press conference, which is never easy uh, mm-hmm. with all the attention and to have the guts to go out there and, and try to speak English, which he hasn't even learned yet. That, that showed me something. You mentioned Cora too. I mean, it's, it, maybe this is, it's not a direct line, but, but, you know, we go back to the Daisuke conversation or even like the Okajima conversation. The Cora was a main cog in that clubhouse as in, in his role. And I remember that clubhouse because that was the first time that you had to deal with it. And, and like I said, we'll never see anything like that again. We just won't. But I remember that I think they were giving out uh, the Japanese classes to some of the players early in the morning. I think Veritek tried doing it for a while. And, but, uh, but that's, that was a big part of it. I think that Cora on that team probably like went a long way to to try to do everything he could to sort of bridge any gaps there were, right? Absolutely. And Alex can empathize the moment uh, Yoshida gets to Fort Myers. He can understand what it's going to be like. And you know, hopefully our n- next goal now is to make sure that this transition is as seamless as possible. So whether it be the technology that we have in our hitting cages or, you know, the dimensions of JetBlue Park, um, we, and then the staffing that can speak the language, we hope that we can make this transition a smooth one. Well, I look forward to for, for, uh, further analysis on March 10th in the seventh inning against the, the game against the Twins. So, <laughs> so I, I you, guess I'll, you can you, send me 500 words on why I should consider that opportunity. <laughs> Uh, well, we always appreciate it. We always appreciate it both in, in spring training and um, and certainly here. I mean, this is – I hope you enjoyed yourself. I hope you enjoyed the forum that is a podcast like this. 
So I hope you enjoyed it. New, new for me. I did. And, you know, we, we appreciate, you know, in scouting, we listen to you guys all the time when we're traveling and it's a big, big part of keeping us connected to what's happening at Fenway or on the road. So we, we appreciate your guys' work as well. 